a paradox, not a paradox, (laughs) a paradox is about two things that seem to be contradictory to one another. Two items, two ideas, two thoughts, two realities, if you will, that seem to be contradictory, that seem to be, in fact, opposed to one another, and yet are both true all at the same time. Paradox. The Christian life can sometimes feel like a paradox. It can feel like there's two realities, two thoughts, two ideas taking place in the course of our soul all at the same time uh, that are opposing one another and yet are true. All in one human being. I've died to sin. Uh, We learned that last week, Romans chapter 6. There's this beautiful union between me and Jesus in my baptism. This incredible work that He is doing to really regenerate my life from something old to something new. And yet, I still struggle with sin. I've been handed this beautiful gift, this gift from God of the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's quite frankly one of the, uh, the mysteries of all of Christianity is God living in us. God gifted us with the Spirit of God Himself living in us. Now, if that doesn't confound you, if that doesn't cause you to pause, then I don't know what will. Uh, It's this incredible mystery, God living inside of us. And we can even want to do exactly what it is that the Spirit wants us to do, and yet, I don't know about you, but sinning still comes so easy, doesn't it? I can know, I mean, I can open up the Scriptures I'm dead to sin. I'm alive with Christ. It stands powerless over me. Powerless. It's weak. And yet, I keep sinning. A paradox. You know what paradox looks like because you see it around you. Let me show you a couple pictures of what paradox might look like. Even outside of the Christian realm, uh, sign not in use. Paradox. Paradox. Go to the next one. This is my favorite. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Now, is it not a paradox? that you can deliver something that can't be delivered? It's a delivery truck. It's not delivery, yet we're delivering it. All right, some of you didn't get that one, but you will. You will. 
The Christian life is this incredible paradox. It's, 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 this, it's this disjointedness with inside of us. It's the opposition that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that seems to be just living in tension right underneath the surface our entire Christian life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that our response to that paradox is incredibly important. You see, there's a response of this paradox that lives inside of us that, uh, that's important for us to avoid. You see, our response to the, the sinfulness that we see, although that we're, we're filled with the presence of the Spirit of God, even though that we still sin, this, this paradox that we wrestle with, I'm here to tell you this morning that, that our response to that reality can actually enslave us more than set us free if we're not careful. There's a response we have to avoid. You see, quite frankly, Romans chapter 7 says so clearly that Christians will struggle with sin. Can you join me? Will you join me? Romans chapter 7, as we continue on this series of together we have been building this argument. Paul has been building. I mean, he is this mountain we're climbing. And uh, quite frankly, it's the difficulty of the paradox in all of Romans chapter 7 uh, that we have to try and come and deal with. And what we see, what we see is that we have to be careful what kind of response we, we have that we take to this paradox of a Christian reality that we still struggle with with sin. Begin with me in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin who is living in me. By the way, this is not uh, an argument of the devil made me do it. You understand, right, that when we sin, we all choose to sin. Uh, we didn't just inherit sin from Adam as if uh, somehow he was doing the sinning for us. No, we, uh, we will stand before Jesus one day and he will know and we will know uh, that we did the sinning on our own, okay? We were the ones choosing to sin. Verse 18, I, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does not uh, So I find this law at work in me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Can, can anybody identify with that? Okay, there's, <laughs> yes, it's me! <laughs> I 
Have you ever wanted to do the right thing and yet it seems like the wrong thing always seems to find you? I was in the seventh grade. Mrs. Gould, what a great name for a teacher. (laughs) Mrs. Gould was our seventh grade math teacher. I had actually done my math homework this particular day, and uh, Tim Dreith, good old Timmy, he hadn't done his math homework. And Tim looked at me knowing I had done my math homework and said, hey, would you help me? Um, well, I got to go, you know, it's like, you know, five minutes to lunch or whatever. He said, well, why don't you just give me your math homework so that you can help me that way? And I kind of questioned it at first and I thought, eh, it's not any big deal. Here you go. Here's my math homework. I'll help you. Well, unbeknownst to me, Tim decided that he was going to try and copy my math homework to his math homework right before Mrs. Gould's class. And Mrs. Gould saw him copying the answers from my math homework to his math homework. I walk into class not knowing what exactly was going to happen, and I walk in and Mrs. Gould meets me at the door, Michael. It's never good when normally you go by Mike and the teacher calls you Michael. Michael, did you give Tim your homework so that he could copy it? And I did what every good, upstanding Christian young man should have done. I lied, absolutely. I have no idea how that math homework ended up in Tim's hands. And of course, I found myself deeper and deeper in a hole of a lie that I had created that ended with a phone call to my mother saying the lies that I had told. It wasn't that I wasn't baptized into Christ. It wasn't that I didn't go to church regularly. It wasn't that I didn't even read my Bible once in a while. It was that uh, the good that I wanted to do, I didn't do. In that moment, evil was, was right there with me. Have you ever had that experience? You see, the rest of Scripture seems to play this out for us, doesn't it? It says that Satan is real, that the devil is, is an actual being. And he prowls around looking for something to devour. Guess what he wants? He wants to devour us. He wants to take us away. He wants wants this, uh, this battle with sin to be won on his side of the ledger. In other places in Paul, he's going to say, hey, Christians, you need to recognize that you have to have this spiritualized, robust armor on. Why? Because Satan is ready to fire arrows at your soul, and you have to be ready. You have to have this robust faith that protects you and this this helmet, right? You have to have a shield and a sword. 
Satan's ready to devour us. Christians still struggle with sin. So what, what is going to be our response uh, to the sin that we notice in our own lives? Oh, well, what are we going to do with, with all of this stuff where, where it seems like the paradox of our Christian life is that we still struggle with sin? How are we going to mend our bad behavior? Uh, how, are, how are we going to try and uh, close the hole of our soul because we still struggle doing that which is evil? Over the centuries, I think Christians have begun to respond by trying to say, let's, let's keep the law. Uh, let's obey the rules. Let's climb the ladder. And quite frankly, in saying that they will climb the ladder, what they're saying to Jesus is, Jesus, your grace is wonderful, your, my, my faith is real, but you were good to save me then, but it's up to me now. And so I am going to obey the rules, I'm going to become the best religious person that you have ever seen. The divinity of Jesus is wonderful. The faith in God is a must. Thank you for your grace. But now, now it's up to me. And, and quite frankly, friends, Christians, I think this is the, one of the things, one of the things that, that Christians get wrong more than they get right. They look at the efficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus and say, it was good for then, but I'm not sure it's good for now. And here's what we begin to do. We begin to climb the ladder, don't we? We begin maybe to take these external codes of conduct and say, okay, okay, I, I, I struggle with sin, but I'll make myself better, right? I'll do better next time. The next time that I have an opportunity to lie, I'm not going to lie. And then that opportunity comes and we find ourselves lying. And then we go, oh, I feel guilty. I won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again. Please, I just promise I'm not going to do it again. And then we say, I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll do better. No, listen, listen, this is... This is the essence of what it means to enjoy this paradox. It's not about you. You see, you got you in this situation in the first place. Remember? Uh, remember what I said about sin? Uh, we didn't just inherit this sin from Adam as if he was the one sinning for us. No, we chose the sin on our own. And so if we begin to say, I'm going to climb the ladder, I'm going to obey the rules, I'm going to be the most spiritual religious person that you can possibly imagine. Well, what we're saying is, I'll get myself out of the hole that I've dug. Jesus, you're not quite good enough. You're not quite efficient enough. In dying on the cross. We like external codes, don't we? Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Giving. 
I'm going to give better than you are. I'm going to give my 10% of everything. I'm not going to argue over whether it's um, net or gross in my pay. I'm going to make sure that I give my 10%, and you should too, because after all, this will just demonstrate that you can overcome sin, right? This paradox that lives within us, I'm going to create this code, and so I will know and God will know uh, that I have demonstrated absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that I, I can overcome sin. I'll do better. And I'll not just do better, I'll maybe even do better than you. And then maybe we take another step, another external code, and we say, oh, oh, small groups. Now, I love small groups. We call them life groups around here, don't we? And we love life groups, and it's such a, an important part of the culture of our church. But, uh, but maybe, uh, maybe we've come to, uh, to see life groups as something that we say, ah, you know what? Uh, this whole sin thing that I'm dealing with, this paradox that's in my life, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I know how I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better by joining a life group. And by joining a life group, everything's going to go better in my life. And all the other people, all the other people are going to know how religious I am. I'm going to obey this external code. I'm going to make sure that God Himself knows that I am demonstrating to Him that I can handle this sin thing on my own. And I'm going to climb the ladder of the law. And everybody's going to know. And we get, we get a little higher, don't we? And we begin maybe to, uh, to look at other people and we say, well, I'm not quite sure that if you, if you are really understanding what means to have victory over sin, if you would drink that certain drink that you drink that once in a while. Or you're driving that particular brand of car and we all know what that car costs. And we create, a, uh, we create a, a external codes that we, uh, we not only hold our, ourselves standard to and we demonstrate to God and to everybody else that we can effectively do what uh, evidently Jesus can't in saving us from our own sin in this paradox of living the Christian life. And then we can say to all the other Christians out there, all the other people in the pews. Well, I'm sure glad I'm not that guy. I'm sure not. I'm sure glad I'm not that gal. I live a little higher on the ladder than they do. But let me tell you where the ladder leads. Every time you take a rung. Every time you take another external code to try and answer the question of your own human paradox in the wrestling of sin. Every time you say, I'm going to allow this rule to be the answer to, I'm just going to do better next time when you wrestle with sin. Paul says you can climb as high as you'd like, but this ladder is never going to lead you to heaven. Climb as far as you want. It's never going to demonstrate that you have victory over sin. In fact, he's going to say, climb the ladder of the law 
and you'll only reach the ceiling of hell. Go ahead. Climb the ladder of the law. Climb the rules. Climb the religiosity. Climb the external codes. Climb as far and as long as you want. But you only reach the ceiling of hell. You see, Christians struggle with sin. And all the law will do, all the law will do as you continue to climb up rung after rung, is it will seize the opportunity for sin to be realized in your life. Notice what Paul says, verse 7. We struggle with sin. What shall we say? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. You see, Paul is talking about the Mosaic Law, the rules that, uh, that the Jewish people would have obeyed. But notice what he says. Indeed, I would have not known what sin was except through the law. So, in other words, the law itself is good. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, don't covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life brought death for sin. Again, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good, but it leads to sin seizing the opportunity. You see, every time you decide that I'm going to demonstrate my power and, uh, and effectiveness over sin on my own, Paul is saying, you're just breathing life to sin's opportunity in your life. It's going to seize the opportunity. Okay, here, I'm going to just do this uh, really quickly, okay? Uh, just do whatever I say. All right, can we agree with that just really quick? Just do whatever I say. I'm going to give you a command here in a second. Just do whatever I say. Are you ready? All right, now, don't look down. Don't do it, right? Whatever you do, don't look down. Now, how, how many of you are tempted desperately? It doesn't matter what's below you. You desperately want to look down. Yeah, me too. I remember uh, several years ago, I was on a ropes course, and uh, we were up working really high, and we were having to walk across these, these like wires and stuff, and they kept saying, they kept saying this law, this rule, over and over, don't look down. Don't tell me that. It's like telling your kids, don't go in the cookie jar, you don't want to go in there. Paul says every time, every time you decide to live on the ladder of the law, every time you decide that you're going to try and keep the law so that you can demonstrate to God and everybody else uh, that you have freedom over sin, he says sin is just going to seize the opportunity at every single rung. Go ahead and climb the ladder of the law, but it's going to end at the ceiling of hell. So so, so what what do we do? What do we do? If this ladder is insufficient response to the kind of paradox that exists in our our human experience of, of sin, 
and righteousness, of, of living for God and not living for God, of sin and righteousness, then, then, then what? What is it that we need to do? What, what is it that we need to see? I'm going to give you a peek, just a peek now. I'm going to open the door about this wide because you're going to have to come back next week to really fully answer that question. I'm going to give you a peek into what Paul is going to say. Look down, look down in verse 24. He says, Recognizing that the ladder of the law will only reach to the ceiling of hell, he says, What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? What, what is it that, that we need to begin to at least begin to, to see? You can't do it. You, you, you can't. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to put the ladder away and I will... I will over and over and over again, recognize that I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. I can't demonstrate freedom on my own. The only, the only way is for me to recognize God's grace. So, so what I want you to do, I want you to do this. I want you to say this week, I'm not going to climb the ladder anymore. Because I recognize God's grace. His grace. His grace ultimately is what's going to lead me away from here. This is only going to enslave me, but not God's grace. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to do what Paul says. Verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to stop climbing. And recognize your need for God's grace. But I also want you to just simply say, you know what? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Uh, thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you for giving me uh, a church that, that I can come to and, and, and sharpen myself. And we can open the word together. Uh, thank you, God, that, uh, that you have efficiently and effectively died so that I might know freedom from sin. Thank you for that. And then the last, then the last thing I want you to do, I want you to begin to, to just pray. Pray this. Look, look at verse 4 through 6. Look at verse 4 through 6. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to one another, or, or to another, to him who, ra who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, when he talks about bearing fruit to God, uh, you should probably go back to chapter 6, verse 22, uh, and, and he talks about bearing fruit of holiness. But now uh, that you have been set free, he says in verse 22, chapter 6, from sin, and have become slaves to God, the benefit, uh, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Cool stuff. He says, bear fruit to God. Verse 5 in chapter 7. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, 
When we were controlled by the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. God's fruit is life and holiness, eternal life. Uh, But now, verse 6, but now by dying to what once bound us in the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way, in the new way of the Spirit. Not in the old way of the written code. Now here's your peak. Here's that little thing. I want you to to grasp God's grace. What a wretched person I am. I want you to climb off the ladder. I want you to begin to thank God. But here's the other thing. Here's the last thing. I want you to begin to pray. Lord, show me the spirit that you have given Let me hear it. Let me notice it. Let me sense the Spirit that you have given that lives inside of me. Let me notice it. Let it well up in my soul that it is, I cannot ignore it. Because what we're going to see in chapter 8 is Paul answering the question of this great paradox by saying, Come next week and you'll find out. (laughs) I'm going to pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much. We are so incapable of demonstrating freedom from our sin on our own. And so we get on our knees, on our faces before you, and we thank you for your grace. God, I pray that all of us will seek the Spirit of the Lord that you desire to give to us. That you've given many of us. And I pray that we're listening. Lord, we love you. Help us to serve you in so many different ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I say one more thing? For those of you that may not know what I'm talking about when I mention the Spirit of God, that there is this great need not to walk in the ladder of the law anymore, but the Spirit of God. If that's you, you want to experience that, you, you want to know what the Spirit is, will you come talk to me? Will you come talk to Josh? Talk to Dan or Charlie or, or maybe the friend that brought you here today. Uh, the Spirit is real. It's a mystery, but it's good. And it won't enslave you anymore like the ladder of the law will. Let's stand and let's sing.